Hello and welcome to RGU Talk, the official podcast of Robert Gordon University. I'm your host, Johnny Milne, and it's a real pleasure to be joined by Professor of Librarianship. It's Professor Peter Reed. Peter, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Johnny. My pleasure. So what exactly does your role at the university involve? It's about as long as a piece of string. It's okay. really difficult to say. Um, it involves teaching, it involves research, it involves um, external activity with lots of um, organisations. Um, I still think that the teaching is one of the really best bits about it. Um, I thoroughly enjoy being in front of a, a class. Um, my own areas are mostly connected with public library management, quality management, but also a lot of cultural heritage, local history um, related stuff. Um, and it's a fascinating, really diverse role. And um, am I right in thinking you've been teaching here at IGU for about 20 years now? It's 20 years this month, in fact, my since goodness. I started. Yes. Happy anniversary. Thank you. I had hair and it wasn't grey then. <laughs> Um, so what's it been like to see the university change and grow over the over the decades you've been here? I think it's, it's really interesting to see how the university um, has evolved because when I first started, um, we'd only been a university for maybe five years okay. at that point um, and now we're coming up to 25 years um, as a university. So it's, it's been very interesting. We've become so much more professional in a lot of the things that we do. Um, that we do. We've grown, we've moved out to Garth Dee. Um, in fact, I, when I started, we'd just moved into the Aberdeen Business School okay. um, building. Um, so there was no health and social care, no um, Surrey and Wood building. Um, so there's been huge changes in that. The other thing that's particularly, I suspect, impacted on me directly is the way that we've moved into distance learning. Mm -hmm. um, because a large proportion of uh, our own master's students um, in um, information library studies, for example, are distance learners. And we were, I think, one of the very first um, courses in the university to go into that. Okay. So in that respect, um, we've seen how rapidly and hugely technology has changed. And um, what was it that brought you to teach at RGU in the first place, those 20 years ago? It was entirely opportunistic. <laughs> um, I was finishing my PhD, um, for which I'd been funded, um, in the summer of 1998. And I was thinking, well, what am I going to do next? I suppose I have to get a job and go out into the real world. Um, and at exactly that point, there were some lecturing posts um, advertised. And I thought it would be stupid not to apply Absolutely. for this. Um, and I was lucky enough to to get one of them. Um, I'm not sure at that point that I necessarily had a clear idea that I was going to follow an academic um, career. Um, it was perhaps a case of needs must. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was August 1998. My goodness. Um, uh, one thing I did here before arranging this chat was that a number of your former students have gone on to become colleagues of yours now. Um, how does it feel seeing people you've mentored go on and succeed in their careers? That's absolutely right. A number of um, my colleagues are people that 
I taught, um, I would think particularly of um, Dina Matsuku, um, who is um, within our school and who's gone on and done tremendous things mm -hmm. from the point that she was doing the Masters, but also um, Lizzie Tate, who's um, just left us to go to a post in Melbourne in Australia. Um, she was a student and then became a member of staff. Mm -hmm. And I have to say it's one of the, the greatest joys of the job, but it's also a great joy in watching the people who don't go into an academic career but go into the profession of course, and yeah. watching them um, develop um, their career. And one of the things that I, I try to do, I try to pride myself in doing, is to keep in touch with our former students. Um, we have an alumni award um, within the courses mm -hmm. um, and it's always a great joy every year to see who has made the contribution that deserves that award. So it, I, I really enjoy watching people's careers and seeing them making a difference, not just to the profession, but I think ultimately to society. Mm -hmm. No, it is really lovely. Um, well, I suppose in your 20 years at the university, one of your standout moments would be back in 2015 when you delivered a professorial lecture about the culture and her heritage of the Northeast and did it entirely in Doric. I um, did indeed. It, it was what I understand it was just before I joined the university, but it was one of the best attended lectures we've held at the university. What was that like? Well, I do look back on that as I suspect one of the big highlights um, of the, the last 20 years. Um, and I think I'd, it would be fair to say, if I'm honest, that I made an enormous rod for my <laughs> own back. Um, when I was approached about doing um, a, a, the professorial lecture, I rather blithely said, oh yes, and I'll do it in Doric. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, there was a year ahead, it was a year ahead before I would be doing it. So. Um, it was incredibly challenging to, to script it I in imagine, Doric. Yeah. Um, and I generally, when I'm teaching, um, don't have any notes. I just have cues from my PowerPoint slides. Mm. Um, but for this, I felt it was really important to get every word right mm. and to get every sentence and paragraph to mean exactly what I wanted it to. So I did script it. Um, and writing what I think amounted to maybe the equivalent of um, 30 pages in Doric was challenging, um, not least for Microsoft Word. <laughs> um, red lines under everything. Red lines under everything. Um, and then at one point it did come up, um, there are too many spelling errors in this document, Word is shutting off spell check, which wow. I've never had before or since. So it was, it was very challenging, but um, the, the thing that I'm probably most passionate about is this region, mm -hmm. um, the northeast corner, um, the sort of Montrose to Nairn area. Um, it's where I'm from, it's where my roots are, it's where a lot of the university's work and relevance is felt. Um, and I wanted to explore so many different aspects of the, the, the culture, the heritage, the history, um, and its relevance to contemporary society um, in the professorial talk. And I felt that one of the most important aspects of that culture and heritage was the Doric dialect. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore it was important to try and show that Doric is not just the, um, the language of the classroom or the supermarket, 
that uh, I'm, I beg your pardon, the language of the playground and the supermarket, yes, yeah. that it is in fact the language of the classroom mm -hmm. and academic discourse can be um, done in Doric. Um, it was good fun. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Would I do it again? Probably I'd be enough of a sucker to say <laughs> to yes. Say yes. Um, well, I mean, I must admit, I, you know, I was born and raised in Aberdeen, um, but sometimes, bizarrely, Doric is like a completely separate language for me. Um, was it so when you were getting ready for the lecture? How important was it to you to to speak like I can't even do it myself to speak <laughs> to like, speak proper? Yes. How how important was that to you in the planning process? And did you find people? there were people in the audience who maybe didn't understand everything you were saying? Yes, um, and I know that ahead of it there were one or two people who were concerned mm. that they wouldn't be able to jalouse what I was saying. <laughs> um, but I did um, provide translations of words or phrases that even I felt were particularly complicated okay. or, or difficult. Um, and I had a bit of fun doing that because mm. I didn't translate them literally. I translated them to make the audience have a chuckle, really. Um, so, for example, when I was speaking about the oil industry, um, I translated that as black stuff that comes out of the sea. Um, so it was there was a bit of bit of tongue in cheek. Mm. One of the difficulties with doing anything in um, the Doric dialect is that there is no um, consistent spelling to it okay. um, and there is there are very subtle differences um, in the way that words are pronounced um, a, a common one for example is um, it's a rechav meaning it's a great chore mm. um, and that's the way that it would be pronounced probably in most of Aberdeenshire but in my own area of Bamsha we would say kiav rather than chav okay. so right at the outset I said there'll be words that some people will disagree with how I've used them or how I've pronounced them mm. um, but I'm reflecting the little bit of Bamshire that I come from and how it's said um, it's said there so um, it, it was it was good fun and I think it was important to do mm. and I think maybe the number of people that came along um, sort of testified to the fact that there is an appetite to see the dialect more visibly in public life and picking up on that, um, obviously the Scottish government has put such an emphasis on recognising Gaelic um, across all of Scotland, even up here where it's perhaps has always been less prevalent compared to Doric. Do you think there should be more done and what more can be done by places like the Scottish government to recognise Doric? I think um, the Scottish government does recognize very strongly the Scots language um, but I think I think this, the Scots language community in general and particularly um, the Doric community which I'm more interested mm. in I'm, I must confess um, can learn a huge amount from the, the way that the, the Gaelic communities in Scotland have mobilized themselves have got themselves into to groups and organizations and really promoted the language and promoted it in education and, and other spheres. So I think um, we're perhaps with Scots and certainly with Doric playing catch up, but I don't think it's an either or. It's I don't think it's a battle between one or the other. No, I think both yeah. can both can learn from 
um, from each other, and there's, you know, there's tremendous goodwill in the um, the Gaelic communities towards the Scots language mm-hmm. as well. So I think we can learn from them. Um, I think the um, establishment earlier this year of the Northeast Scots Language Board, which is about trying to promote Doric in the public sphere. Um, is a really important um, development. Um, I think what we do desperately need is a bit mayor on the telly and the wireless. Um, We want a bit mayor of the Scots tongue to be heard in that. Scots Radio does a fantastic job, but some stuff in mainstream media is is important, so I think there's there's a lot of things. Aberdeenshire Council are doing fantastic work um, in schools. Um, I was up, um, I think it was last year, um, up in Inverallaghy, um, where the kids have a, a basically a Doric festival week in June oh, each year, and that was that was a joy. And there's there's other fantastic teachers across the region. I think of um, folk like Jamie Fairburn at um, Banff Academy, who does phenomenal work in being a, a champion for the dialect and the vernacular in education. So it's a combination of things, but we can definitely learn um, from what our, our Gaelic cousins have done. Um, and you mentioned earlier that when you were doing your professorial lecture, you had uh, translations for particularly difficult words. Are there any that you can, aside from the aisle industry, as you said, are there any that spring to mind as particularly tough words even for you? Well, um, there's some words that I I find quite tricky um, and there were some words that I used a bit tongue-in-cheek. Napdarlichs is a really good Doric word to get into um, any talk Um, and I thought, how do I um, explain napdarlichs in a really polite fashion to (laughs) a genteel audience Mm. because it's 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 effectively excrement that attaches itself to farmyard animals. Got you. So it's 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 a good a good word. It's a handy word in conversation. Of course. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there there were one or two. That was the one that 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 stood out, mm. and um, it, it raised quite a chuckle. Um, well, what is it about local history and heritage that interests you so much? I think uh, there's, it's twofold. On the one hand, um, a lot of what I do in the northeast region, in Aberdeen, City, Shire, Banffshire, Murray, um, it's in some way it's something that I feel a visceral connection to because I'm part of this mm. community. Um, and I think increasingly there's recognition in government and in funding bodies like the Heritage Lottery Fund and so on of the, the value of promoting um, the cultural and heritage identity of mm. places um, and certainly one of the projects I was involved in um, over the last few years called Castle to Cathedral to Kashmir up in Elgin was very much about driving um, economic regeneration and town centre regeneration by using heritage to tell the story of the town better for visitors okay. that's one side the The other side is um, the the way it actually makes people feel. Engagement with their own past and their own community and feeling that that matters every bit as big history does, you Mm -hmm. know, wars and kings and queens. You know, what happened in your own village or in your own town 
um, or the, the, the people in your family that went to the Great War and didn't come back. That's every bit as important. Um, I did, um, I've been doing quite a lot of work with Bucky Fishing Heritage um, over, the, over the years, and I had a great student a couple of years ago worked, um, worked with them. Um, and in that particular project where she was looking at how people reacted to old photos of the, the community, you really saw that strong, mm. visceral connection that they had, which I suppose is the other side of what I was saying a second ago about my own visceral attachment Absolutely. to it. Yeah. I think knowing your your the the place that you come from or that your family have roots to, um, and telling the the often forgotten and underlooked stories of places, mm. that's that's really what drives me. And slightly away from local history and culture, I understand you're involved in a number of other projects, um, but one in particular about connecting with artists across Scandinavia. What can you tell us particularly about that, but about the other things you've got on your plate? Yeah. That one's really interesting because um, it does have a very strong local dimension okay. to it, even though there is it, it's linking to um, Iceland, Norway, Denmark, um, and other parts of the um, the, the UK, um, and it's it's basically a project to connect artists and archives, um, and th this is this is something that I've done actually um, with an organisation that I work with outside the the university, but there's there's clear benefits for RGU in it, not least because we've managed to secure a European Year of Cultural Heritage Artist Residency, okay. um, and in fact our resident artist will be resident from Tuesday of next week so I'm look, looking forward to that um, and this is to tell um, hidden or neglected or forgotten stories that link the communities around the, the North Sea and the North Atlantic so there are um, partners in as I say Iceland, Norway, Denmark, England and, and Scotland and yeah. we're, we're looking at um, all of the refugees from Norway and Denmark that came over to the northeast of Scotland during the Second World War. Mm. Um, and the artist we've got is a music musician, um, and he's Norwegian but lives in Denmark. So given that the vast majority of the refugees were Danes or Norwegians, mm -hmm. um, it's a perfect fit perfect for blend, us. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm also doing... Um, work with a number of other groups um, particularly interested in what's happening with the um, the Cabrich Trust um, which is looking at the regeneration of the area between Dufftown and Huntley and plans to put in a, a, a micro distillery and a visitor centre um, and that's just a, a, a classic model, beautiful example of using heritage to aid the regeneration um, of a community and I've put a proposal into one of the funding councils um, to look at particular aspects around um, that community and the Great War this time. Okay. So touch wood, fingers crossed, um, that will maybe go somewhere. Well, it'd be fantastic to get you back on to learn more about those if it does. Um, but finally, before we end, I have to ask about your megastar cat that one of my colleagues was telling me about. Mountbatten. Mountbatten cat. What can you tell me, tell me about Mountbatten? Well, Mountbatten cat is a, um, a celebrity in his own paw print. Um, 
He's, he's a little monkey. Um, he often appears on my lecture slides. Okay. Um, he has his own Facebook page, which um, I have to say, uh, a bewildering number of former students follow. <laughs> um, and they, they, they all buy into the Mountbatten cat story, okay. um, which is basically his constant battle to get one up on me. Um, and he's a pure white cat. Mm. Um, he was a rescue cat that I got um, four years ago. And for the first two months, he was incredibly badly behaved. Okay. Um, and he was called Toffee, which is a really stupid name for a pure white cat. Well, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand. And I was thinking, I really need to rename this mm. cat. Um, and after four months of having been bitten and turning his nose up at food and being really selfish and bad-tempered and grumpy and all the rest of it, my eye fell on the biography of Lord Mountbatten, who was all of those things <laughs> in my bookcase. And I thought, Mountbatten, that's the perfect name for the cat. So, yeah, you can see him at facebook.com forward slash Mountbatten cat. And thus the legend was born. Indeed. Well, Peter... Thank you so much for joining me today. That's been fascinating. My pleasure. Afa uh, fine. Uh, I was going to come up with one myself, but I can't think of one. Uh, I, I'll come up with one maybe in post-production and edit it in. <laughs> but that's it for another episode of RGU Talk. On behalf of the university, I have been Johnny Milne, and we'll talk to you later. <laughs>